This is Customer Experience Leaders, a podcast produced by Rated. It's a show where we reveal the secrets of how great brands delight their customers. What I've learned in almost every crisis is that the most important thing is to not only communicate often, but start moving quickly towards a better state. That's the voice of Jason Bradshaw. He's the Chief Customer Officer at Volkswagen Group Australia. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey. Hey there, I'm Michael Momsen. So, Michael, we have Jason from Volkswagen with two really, really big topics. The first is how Volkswagen has changed their culture around customer experience and the five principles they use to do so. And the second topic is how to stay on your A-game and deliver a great customer experience even though you are in the middle of a crisis. So we started our conversation with Jason by asking him, how did he begin the journey of changing culture around CX at Volkswagen? I think uh, it's really important when you're trying to establish yourself in a new organization with a completely new discipline for that organization that you have to start really small. So in every organization, in fact, that I've worked at, I've started by explaining what do we mean by customer experience? Because you know you could ask this question to every one of the guests on this podcast and they'd all have a slightly different bent to it. And then you know what's the most important thing to do to improve the customer experience? We'd all have our own views. So one of the first things that I did was uh, explain what experience means for us at Volkswagen. And then we quickly moved on to creating what we call our five experience principles. One of the experience principles that we have is a simple one. It's called Be Easy. And each of the experience principles are really practical, things that people can understand and they don't need to spend days or weeks or months learning how to be easy. And then we went even further to dispel the myth that we needed some big three-year project to start improving things. We just simply said, if today we're 1% better than we were yesterday, then we're on the right track. Let's not try to change the world overnight or change it in three years. Let's just focus on being better every day. And that's worked well for us. But a key part of that has been about defining experience beyond the customer. Because I fundamentally believe that if we don't get that employee experience right, then the customer experience isn't going to be sustainable. We can do a whole pile of activities that will raise NPS or get us a great article out there in the network, but it won't be sustainable. So about 50% of our activities focused on customer, external customers, and the other 50% is about that employee experience. So, Jason, you've touched on a few really interesting points there that I want to dig into each of those, first being the five principles. I really liked your example of, uh, of one of those five principles there, you know, be easy. And I know Michael's a big fan of, you know, removing friction from experiences. Could you just run us through the five principles that you're operating with? Because I think it's actually a really good framework to explore this topic. And what I love is it's super practical that, you know, um, whether you're a big organization or a small organization, it's something that anyone can uh, implement. Yeah, sure. So our five experience principles are know me, care for me, deliver me value, be easy, and be knowledgeable. And how we came about these was actually to look at the feedback from our customers. So verbatim comments from over 100,000 customers. And what we found was when they really love us, we've delivered on these five experience principles. And inversely, when they're not delighted, we've failed in these five areas. You know, the sales associate didn't know as much as I knew about the product I was looking to buy or, you know, it was really complicated. It was, the vehicle wasn't ready to pick up when I was ready to pick it up or when you said it would be ready to be picked up. 
And each of these five experience principles, I think you could argue, are plain language. You, you can have a conversation with someone around Be Easy and they instantly understand what that means. They might not understand by how much we want them to be easier than what they were, but they'll certainly understand the inherent definition of each of those categories. And we use them as a bit of a mirror internally. So not only do we use them to motivate and guide people in what they should or shouldn't do, but internally when we're looking to launch something, if it doesn't tick the box against those five experience principles, then we shouldn't be doing it. How are these potentially different to your company values in terms of how you think about culture? Are these separate or are they tied into core values as well? So if you think about most companies have a a value of being trustworthy or being customer focused or being innovative. Well, none of that talks directly to any of those experience principles. But, you know, if you're not trustworthy, well, then you can't really deliver me value or be knowledgeable because I'm not going to trust the experience. And when we talk about be easy, we again come back to this concept of we don't need to be 50% easier than any of our competitors. We just need to consistently be 1% easier than our competitors. And the key there is consistently because that consistency builds trust. For me, the most powerful human emotion is trust because without it, there is nothing. And how do you get that trust? Well, in our world, it's by living those five experience principles every single day in what we do. And they're specifically called experience principles because I would argue that as an employee, you want each of those five experience principles delivered as well. As an employee, you don't want your boss to be difficult to work for. That's really excellent, Jason. First of all, I love them. I think they're wonderful experience principles. Was this something that came from Global HQ or was this something that was largely driven locally by the team out of interest? So 100% uh, driven by the local team here. And we are actually now working with some of our colleagues in other markets to help them develop their experience strategy to really improve for the lives of customers and employees in their markets. So you've got five amazing experience principles. I'm interested in how you connect it to that 1%, you know, being 1% better every day or making small incremental progress every day. How do you bring that to life? And in your experience over the last couple of years, after defining these principles, you know, ensuring that shows up and customers actually see this, what's been your experience there? So like any good change program, you can't just set and forget it. So uh, when we first launched these experience principles for the next 12 months, we went on a campaign to really embed them in the dealership. So everything from posters on walls, which I think have a very limited use, but they do raise at least awareness um, to videos where people had to listen to me and others talk about what it meant and how to live it. And then, of course, we tie it back to the feedback that we get from customers. So when we're talking about a piece of feedback from a customer, we use that as an opportunity to hero the moment where someone's lived the experience principle really strongly. So a great example of that is one of our dealerships sold a, a customer a, a new car. Nothing surprising about that. That's what they're, you know, one of their key objectives. But during the sales process, the customer uh, was talking about why they were so excited about what they were buying and the type of car and the color. And all of it, or a large motivator for that customer was to be able to show off to friends of theirs at a wine club that they were members of. Now, that value of knowing me means that when that customer picked up their vehicle, their gift was actually personalized wine glasses as a thank you for doing business with them. So instead of just handing them some chocolates, our dealers really try to find a way to connect with the bigger purpose of why the customer is buying a vehicle. 
or getting their vehicle serviced. So I think that's a really great example of just listening in the moment to the customer and then using that to demonstrate that you actually do genuinely know who they are and, and wanting to be part of their lives. I'd love to hear any examples around how you hero these moments because I think this is really important, you know, as we hear from customers more or we you launch these experience principles, there's guys on the ground that really take it on board and then there's some great stories. You know, how do you celebrate that across the network and across the organization to ensure that that continues the momentum? So our experience strategy for the Volkswagen brands here in Australia is called Accelerate to Wow. And wow means to be obsessed about being focused on creating connections with customers, continually improving, and building lifetime owners and advocates. So each year, we run a program called 100 Days of Wow. So over 100 days, team members from across the network get to share their stories with how they've wowed a customer, but they have to tie it back to the experience principles. And it can't be just their day job. It's got to be where they've genuinely had intent on delivering an experience for the customer that is quite memorable, creating lifetime memories with those customers. And we use that as a way to engage with the network because then we can hero the best of the best. And even though you know we put some prizes behind the top five each year, we also take it as an opportunity to share some of those stories in all of our training programs. So a really great example is we had a customer bring in their vehicle for servicing and the customer had handwritten a note on a post-it in the voice of the vehicle, essentially, you know, the saying, <laughs> you know, my owner really loves me, please look after me, that, those sorts of things. And the dealership, when they handed back the vehicle to the customer, had written their own post-it note in the voice of the hoist that the car was on when it was getting serviced. And that customer ended up taking a photo and sharing it on social media. And while that particular example wasn't one that won a prize, it wasn't considered the top of the top, you know, we use that as an example of how you can do something really small. As, you know, it takes only a couple of minutes to write a post-it note that makes a profound impact on customers. So for me, it's more about sharing those stories across the network than literally five people getting a prize. Culture change is not easy, particularly when it's something that is new. Like, you know, you were the first chief customer officer and I presume that this was the first probably well thought out customer experience and employee experience focused framework that was being implemented at Volkswagen. Can you share some war stories or some challenges that you experienced through that process and what did you do about them? You know, my title says chief customer officer, but we've talked about experience a lot and how Half of our work's now on employee experience. And one of the first challenges I had was the title itself. Because anytime I'd talk about that employee experience, they'd be like, no, you're the customer guy. What do you want to talk about employees for? And by the way... Yeah, leave that to HR. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's HR. But by the way, they're not our employees. They're the employees of our independent business partners. So what we had to do was take small steps. You know, Originally, the experience principles were called the customer experience principles. And then slowly over time, we dropped customer because it's about customer and employees and educate the network on why the two are intrinsically linked. Talking about people giving lip service or not necessarily getting on board, last year for the first time in our history, we conducted across our dealership network an employee advocacy study. We wanted to know how much people loved working for their dealerships, but also how much they loved working for the brand, how much they loved representing the brand. And we had about half of our network participate in that program. 
And this year, we've rolled out an annual survey again, and we had 100% of our network participate, or just shy of it, about 98% of our network participate. So I think that talks to it. And how did we get to that point? Well, we took the learnings from the first survey, we took the insights and really made it simple for people to understand how focusing on the feedback and driving improvements in this area will impact their bottom line. So one of the examples we found was an uplift in the performance of people that had completed certain training qualifications. Now, being able to link a return on investment to someone's time is a great way to dispel the myth that it's just about hugging people and smiling nicely. In every role I've had, I've tried to find a way to link the impact of the work that we're doing to the bottom line. Because while I don't think it always has to be 100% about the bottom line, it has to have an impact. You know, we're a commercial organization. We're not a charity. So how are we improving the operations, the sustainability of our business? And I've found that in every business where I've done that, I've been able to get the investment and the continual investment in programs to drive improvements for the business. Yeah, absolutely. It helps get buy-in, not just from the C-suite, but also from people throughout the organization. So, Absolutely. If you're the national sales manager, you know, okay, you're not the chief revenue officer of the company, or the, but you know, getting your sales number is important to you. So if I'm wanting to take your sales force away for two days, your first instinct is, what's this going to do to my target? And you have to be able to show that value chain at every level. I think Volkswagen is in an interesting position here because of the structure, there's a whole bunch of independent dealerships that actually have the face-to-face customer contact. And then there's a whole kind of almost like independent business where there's, you know, owners, managers, employees, separate from the part of the organization you work in, which is kind of the master brand for the country. And so that makes it probably a little bit even more challenging than, say, just a, a regular retail business where everybody sits under the one umbrella. What have been some of the challenges of working with, I guess, what probably feels like a bit of a fragmented organizational structure in terms of implementing the employee experience? So I think that's a fair assessment to make. You know, we're a franchise network. It's easy to and logical that there would be different cultures and different priorities. But I actually don't think it's too different to when I worked at Target, for example. There was 300 uh, stores in the Target network at the time. Uh, All of them were company-owned stores. It wasn't a franchise environment. But every store manager and every regional manager had their own idea about what great looked like within their neighborhoods and within their communities. And so the challenges are quite similar. The only difference is the ownership structure, I think, in many respects. And that's why I've taken always a partnership approach. Explain firstly, why are we wanting to do it? Secondly, that it's going to help their business or help their regions improve. And ensure that it's not that disconnected with their purpose as well. And when we talk about onboarding an employee, for example, I actively encourage our dealer partners to talk about why they exist as a business. Why did they get into this industry? Uh, If they're part of a large automotive group, how did they become a large automotive group? But as part of that story... We also tell our story about the founding of Volkswagen, that we're about making premium available for the masses, a quality premium product available to everyday Australians. And by making sure that it's not about us or just about them, by bringing those stories together, it allows for everyone to win. Jason, welcome to the quickfire round where we ask you rapid fire questions and you've got 10 seconds to answer. It's a chance for us to get to know the man behind the microphone. Are you ready? Bring it on. All right. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Your time starts at the end of the first question. 
So Jason, we'd love to hear what brand you look to as a good example of customer experience. Uh, Southwest Airlines, absolutely. Um, Zappos, um, but also Warby Parker, which is a pretty new entrant into the optical glassware space. Jason, which job did you learn the most in? I'd have to say it was my uh, first business, actually, um, at 14 years of age when I sold a range of telecommunications and computer equipment. But in terms of working for the boss, uh, I would say my time at the New South Wales government, I learned a lot about what motivates me intrinsically and and how I get results and where I do and don't want to be career-wise. The third question is, what skill are you terrible at? If patience was a skill, I'd definitely be terrible at it. (laughs) (laughs) What's the best advice you've ever received? Uh, The best advice would be to uh, set set a goal and never give up in trying to get there. Jason, what non-work-related thing are you really into right now? I would have to be... uh, it, It would have to be podcasts. It's It's something that I have become more and more in love with over over the last few years you know it used to start out with just being stuff about work uh, but now you know I li- listen to uh, NPR and a whole range of other podcasts just to expand uh, the, the knowledge base what's some of your favorites a uh, Shep Hyken's uh, amazing business radio podcast uh, the variety of guests he has on there just makes it such a delight to listen to because it's not the same you know mm. obviously it's coming from a service orientation but it can be everything from you know, a, a, a host or a guest rather that works for a particular supplier in the industry, or it can be you know, from a small contact center uh, in the middle of the US just talking about how they're improving the lives of their customers. So I just love the variety of guests. Tell us a little bit more about where you go to upskill, uh, whether it be books and YouTubes and podcasts. For a very long time, I've been listening to an audiobook a month, reading a book at least once a month. And when I say a long time, like at 12 years of age, I started reading Australian Small Business and Investing, which doesn't exist anymore, but uh, like clearly uh, geeking out here on you. But uh, uh, I I do a lot of personal reading, but I also uh, speckle that in with um, large global conferences. So I don't spend a lot of time just in the Australian conference scene. I love seeing what other companies are doing on the global stage in other markets because if you're always just chasing the guy or the girl down the road, you'll never be able to leapfrog. So always looking to, to learn from other markets. Jason, you said that you were reading business magazines at 12 years old. I'm not, I'm not sure what kind of sick, uh, crazy childhood you had. but <laughs> I'd like to switch to the second part of the interview now, Jason, which is managing customer experience throughout a crisis. <laughs> so Volkswagen's obviously had a famous emissions crisis, which you worked through and it's probably in the back of customers' minds or dealers' minds, you know, at times now. I'd love to hear, you know, your tips and your experience when there's a crisis, I suppose, from small to big, how to sort of keep everyone's focus on the North Star of delivering a consistent, great customer experience when there's so much distraction going around. Absolutely. And, you know, big or small, your organization is going to have a challenge at some point, not necessarily even of your own doing it could just be an industry challenge that that you're saddled with as well you know if someone does something rogue in the industry that can hurt everyone in that space right and for me the thing that's worked really well is to not separate the two so don't go we need to put all of our customer experience initiatives on hold while we go and deal with this challenge it's you know if i think about 
the experience principles, for example, well, one of the things is be knowledgeable. One of our experience principles, be knowledgeable. So if you're going through a crisis, you need to be able to take the knowledge that you have to turn that into information that reassures your customers and reassures your employees that you're going to do the right thing to get this fixed, whatever that challenge might be. So, you know, if I think back to my target days, we had a situation where some of our products were made with a, a product called Azodye, which is used in Asian manufacturing plants to, in the de- making of denim. Now, perfectly legal, nothing wrong with that. However, it was linked to cancer. There was a really small chance that it would cause someone to get cancer. But your health is so important to you. So, of course, people are going to have an emotional response to that. Mm. So what, what did we do? Well, we wanted to turn knowledge into reassurance, not only for our customers, but for our employees. So we communicated every single day really strong information with our team members out there in our stores. We created you know, really easy, frequently asked questions that we constantly updated. So when our contact centers were getting more and more questions, then overnight, we would share that information with our store members, team members, so that they had the most current information. And then, of course, we went on social media to share information directly with customers and created a frequently asked question page on our website. So all of that was still tying it back to the experience principle of, you know, in this case, be knowledgeable. So for me, it's not you just park everything. How do you leverage your programs to show the value of them during a challenge or an opportunity, whatever the case might be? It's interesting. At the beginning of this discussion, you talked a lot about trust. And so I can see some of those values starting to come back again when you talk about dealing with crises and but even things that go well, not just the negatives, but also the positives. You're trying to instill trust at every single point of that journey to make the customer feel reassured, to make them feel great, to make things feel easy. So yeah, really love those principles. I suppose because the VW crisis was such a blockbuster, you know, well-known thing that happened in the news. Was there anything that you learned specifically going through that journey in managing something that was so highly publicized and yeah, it would have been networked to customer to HQ, there would be all sorts of stuff flying around. Like what were some of the, the key learnings that you had from, from that experience? Well, actually, uh, I was in discussions for this very role that I have now with them. Um, um, and I woke up one morning to the breaking news of the uh, oh, right. crisis. <laughs> I was during the interview process. So uh, that that was that was a, a new one for me during an interview process <laughs> for that to to be underway. But I was still very much committed to joining the brand and hopefully making a difference. And what I've learned in almost every crisis, you know, is that the most important thing is to not only communicate often, but start moving quickly towards a better state. So, you know, one of the first things that we did here in Australia was put our diesel vehicles on stop sale. We didn't know whether we needed to do that or not do that, but we wanted to make sure that we stopped any further problems or potential problems, I should say, from occurring. Now, all of those vehicles ultimately went back on sale as more information became available. And when uh, customers were bringing their vehicle in to have a software upgrade uh, related to the emissions matter, you know, one of our key focuses was on making it easy for them and reconnecting with them and not disrupting their life. Whatever that challenge has been, You not only have to communicate and apply things like knowledge really quickly, but you have to show people what's the end state. Where are you going to move to and how are you going to help them get there? So for our dealerships, they were fielding inquiries from customers too. And and it came back to those simple things, giving them frequently asked questions and just making their life easier so that they didn't have to make it up on the fly. 
And I think part of that is being not afraid to say to a customer, I don't have an answer for you today, but I commit to giving you an update at this particular time. And that goes back to trust again, but sometimes you don't have the answer straight away. So what are you going to do about that? Well, you're going to take ownership and you're going to come back to them. I observe that issue come up quite a lot when I deal with brands. And the normal thing that happens is an employer will make something up or give you an unsatisfactory answer and it's dissatisfying and it kind of breaks that trust. And so, I'm really, really pleased to hear you saying that you empower employees to say, I don't know, but I will get back to you. My question is, how do you train that mindset, that that moment? How do you get people prepared for that? Well, I think it, it comes from leadership. You have to demonstrate that it actually isn't going to cause them a problem if they pause and come back to the customer later, as opposed to some organizations which say, just touch the customer once, give them an answer and move on. For me, if we have to touch the customer three times, but the third time we're giving them the correct information and we've kept the customer informed along the way, that's a much better outcome because most customers will value accuracy over timeliness. And uh, it comes down to starting with leadership, not reinforcing through what you reward as opposed to why did you talk to that customer twice? Jason, I think the other thing that's really interesting, and, and we spoke about this exact topic with Charles Weiser from Optus. The interesting thing is, uh, I don't think personally as a customer, I'm actually that upset about something going wrong with a transaction. What I'm upset about is when it's handled poorly afterwards. You know, we see mistakes happen all the time and it's a very human thing. But if somebody says, hey, I'm sorry, we stuffed this up. Here's what I'm going to do to fix it. I think we're all okay with that, provided that the resolution is good. So, it's, it's not the problem, it's the resolution or, or the lack thereof that's actually the problem. You know, I talk about uh, the need to create a human connection. Uh, an example that I often use is Amazon. You know, Amazon do 90 plus percent of all their business online with no human interaction other than the person clicking buy now but they've built a trust with their customers that when they say it's going to be delivered tomorrow it will absolutely turn up tomorrow and on the odd instance where it doesn't they know that they just need to own the problem with the customer and tell them when it's going to be fixed and the customer keeps coming back because customers know that humans make mistakes because they're human themselves so you've just got to own it and move to resolution as quickly as possible i'd like to explore the concept of doing this right in a crisis, both at a sort of leadership level and then throughout on the ground, because I think everything that I've read and seen when you're in a crisis is exactly what you've described, which is be as transparent as possible, communicate frequently, communicate everything you know, which includes saying what you don't know, and just trying to be as authentic as you can throughout that process. But I think a lot of people don't want to go to that as the default because they're scared of either lost sales or legal issues or actually it's going to be a branding issue if we say how badly we screwed up um, or whatever it may be. I'm sort of interested in how you and the team decided to go the open, transparent way and then enabling the team to be able to feel confident in getting behind that strategy. Well, you know, the question you have to ask, I think, is what happens if you don't? Yes. You know, there are so many examples of companies that have taken an alternative approach and the ramifications of that. So I'm not suggesting for any moment that we were, you know, it was an instant decision and nor should it be. You should, you know, you need to critically assess the situation as it evolves. But if you're asking the question with whatever it is you're doing, what happens if I don't do it? What if I'm not transparent? 
And I think you very easily come to that point around, this is the right thing to do today. And if in a week's time we go, well, maybe we shouldn't be doing that way, don't be afraid to shift directions by a couple of degrees if that's what you need. And I think there's so many things in life where people get absolutely 100% wedded to the solution that in fact it fails because they're not prepared to move the solution as the situation changes. What about keeping the team motivated? So you've got the information going out, they're saying the right thing, but they're having to deal with a tough conversation every day. Mm -hmm. How do you keep the motivation levels high, the energy levels high to come to work tomorrow and get excited about delivering a customer experience that you can really get excited about when you know that you're having to deal with the shitty aspects of the day-to-day that is part of being in a crisis? Being asked the same question again and again and and (laughs) only being able to do certain things. Look, I, I get it. And I think as leaders during those times, it's actually more important for us to celebrate the wins with the team. So one of the things that we were doing during that time was actually sending handwritten thank you cards to our team members where they absolutely got raving fans or raving feedback from their customers by what they had done. And not necessarily in relation to the emissions matter, but just celebrating the wins that they were having in a much bigger way than normal. And the power of a handwritten thank you card is phenomenal. And it would come from me directly. Now, if you see my handwriting, you would think that I'm a doctor because it's uh, <laughs> certainly my doctor's handwriting at least is more legible than mine. But you know, it's the fact that I took the time to write it, right? It's the fact that a team leader stopped and said, I really loved what you did there. So it's not so much about focusing on the challenge of the moment, but how can you celebrate what they're doing really great? Just to round us out, I think maybe a bit more of a broad question. You're now about three years into your role at Volkswagen. Can you share some of the big wins that you've had over that time? What things are you most proud of in your role as Chief Customer Officer? You know, first and foremost, I'd have to say I'm really proud of of my team of managers that report to me and their growth during our three years. When I started, they were a little bit blind about what was coming down. You know, they had this unknown quantity in terms of me. They'd never worked with me. It wasn't like I was an internal promotion into the role. They had moved into a new division with their own views and expectations around what things would look like. And they have been able in each of their disciplines, from whether it be customer insights to contacts and operations to training, they've all been able to not only personally grow, but help their teams and in the process of the lives of our employees and customers grow. If I think about some work that we've done in our network training center, you know, we've doubled the number of people that we're training in a given year without increasing the cost base to do so, which is phenomenal in itself, right? We uh, ask everyone, whether you're a customer or an employee, at every touch point, we ask you for feedback. And there's been a significant improvement in the number of people that actually are finding value in the training we're delivering. Think about our contact center. When I joined, uh, we were ranked internally, globally, internally, in the bottom five in terms of our performance. Now we're in the top three globally of all Volkswagen markets. You know, that's phenomenal. And if I think about insights. When I got there, uh, there was one uh, individual responsible for insights and now he's got a team because people have seen the value that they're delivering. So for me, there's lots of things that I hope helped improve the business, but the greatest one has to be seeing my own team grow and really come out of their shell and establish themselves as leaders in what they're doing. Jason, you've shared some really interesting, some really great and applicable lessons that you're doing at Volkswagen. We've heard some of the amazing results that they've had. 
what's the one tip you would give a small business who's looking to kind of get started in their customer experience transformation journey to get started on the right foot? So I'm going to have a shameless plug here, guys. In October, I have a book coming out, my first published book called It's All About Sex. That's C-E-X, Customer and Employee Experience. And really in the book, I start by talking about my journey to where I am today, You know, starting with reading books or magazines at 12 years of age. I'm not suggesting everyone needs to do that. But one of the things that I talk about in the book is don't let distraction stop you from moving forward. And there's lots of great things out there. There's lots of great conferences. You know, People will say, let me come and do journey mapping for you, create all these things, but none of them actually start moving the dial until you actually do something. So my advice, you know, whether you're a small team, whether you're a small business or a global company, is actually you already have in your hands feedback from customers and employees around what's not working. Focus on one of them and start improving it. Because until you start improving stuff, you won't actually internalize just the importance and the impact to your business. Now, we all could quote off statistics from Forrester and others around the financial impact. But for me, whether it's small or big, until you actually start doing something and getting results, it's just going to be lip service. And now you can pick up any Fortune 500 annual report and they'll talk about how important customers are. You ask their customers and, and I would suggest many of them say that they're not moving fast enough of actually fixing stuff. Well, Jason, thanks for coming on the show. No, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. It was a great show and so many amazing and really practical tips and advice that I took away from this episode. So, we're going to sum up our top four. Michael, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, sure. So, the first thing for me was documenting the principles of experience is really important. Just having the one, two, three, four, five, whatever it is, bullet points that you really believe in that really describes what is great experience for you and the team. And I really loved the five that they had, right? So, know me care for me, be easy, deliver value and be knowledgeable. I think if you can do one or two or three, God, if you do all five of those things, then you really have delivered an outstanding experience. So I think documenting principles of experience, whether it be in your values or you actually have something that says, this is what great customer experience means to us, I think is a great, great practical takeaway. The second takeaway from this episode and and the thing that I really liked was not only having those experience principles, but in terms of implementing them, actually celebrating when they're achieved. And Jason gave quite a few examples throughout the episode where employees had gone above and beyond and done something great. And then they did a really great job of heroing that person within the organization to, you know, really celebrate not just with them, but also with their peers. Which sort of leads into the third point, which I was really looking forward to talking to someone from Volkswagen about this big emissions crisis, because not only is it really challenging when something like that happens, it's challenging for the months and the the years thereafter. And sort of thinking about how do you keep everyone focused on delivering a great experience every day when there's all this noise going on in the background, whatever that crisis may be. The takeaway for me was when it gets harder, celebrate harder. So look for every little opportunity that you can to celebrate the great things that are happening and those highlights of great experience that are in line with those principles becomes really important. So in a crisis, when it gets harder, celebrate harder. The last takeaway uh, from this episode and one that I really like was just getting 
to work, get to action. So picking what you're going to focus on, taking all the data and picking something and actually doing it. We talk about this a lot, Michael, you know, when we try to figure out ways for small businesses and and such to find great ways to get started with customer experience programs. And what Jason was really recommending is skip the consultants and big programs and the big strategies and just get started on being better than yesterday by 1% and then tomorrow be another 1% better and then the next day another 1% better because if you try and build the big strategy and write all the big customer maps and the whatnot, you end up doing all this great work but never actually having any impact. Never A customer never sees it, an employee never sees it. And often those times of having strategies or plans may make sense. So it's not about not necessarily never doing those things. It's about making sure that you're actually moving the ball forward just a little bit every day because that's the only way that it's going to have an impact. And some of those plans can be helpful to make sure that you're focusing on the right ones and that it's mapped out. But ultimately, just act now is the single most important thing for the customer to get a better experience tomorrow. If you enjoyed this conversation with Jason, he's written a wonderful book called It's All About Sex, which is CEX, Customer and Employee Experience. Michael, I know you're... I'm all about sex, yes. Let's... Uh- <laughs> um- <laughs> So you're you're very much looking to uh, having a read. Uh, I know you're an avid learner, so having a read of um, another great customer experience book. If you enjoyed this conversation with Jason, you can find the book on Amazon and all other retailers. We're going to pop a link in the show notes for you to check it out. And fantastic! And just as a reminder, if you enjoy this show and our other shows, please tell your friends about it. That's how great podcasts spread. And Adam and I love to hear from you on LinkedIn. You don't even need to talk. You can stalk us and we will say hello. We love connecting with our listeners and getting feedback and thoughts throughout the journey. So feel free to look me up on LinkedIn and just add me. I'm Michael Momsen, M-O-M-S-E-N. And I'm Adam Jaffrey. We'll speak to you next time. Thanks. See ya. Thanks for listening. Customer Experience Leaders is produced by Rateit. Rateit's technology gives you a real-time view of your customer experience through things like in-store tablets, tokens, and SMS. For more information, head to rateitapp.com. That's R-A-T-E-I-T-A-P-P.com. This show was created in partnership with Wavelength Creative. It was produced by me and Christopher Lawson, who also edited and mixed the show. Our theme music is by Icolix, Peter Cooley and The Shrugs. Before we go, just a quick reminder to firstly, connect with Michael and myself on LinkedIn and tell us why you love the show or any suggestions that you have. And secondly, there are some great insights through our 20 plus episodes of Customer Experience Leaders. So go back, have a listen and tell somebody new about the show so they can learn too. Until next time, I'm Adam Jaffrey. Thanks for listening. We'll speak to you next time.